Do please turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Today we are in Genesis beginning in chapter 49. We'll begin in chapter 49, verse 1, and we'll read through chapter 50, verse 14. As we consider the life of Jacob, Jacob and his family have moved to Egypt. They have settled in the land of Goshen. We we actually saw the first part of this scene as we looked at chapter 48 and the adoption of Manasseh and Ephraim and the blessing of Joseph through that adoption. And today we will look at Joseph's final words to his family. So read with me as we read from Genesis chapter 49, beginning in verse 1. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power. Turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. For you went up into your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch, He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun will live by the seashore and become a haven for ships. His border will extend towards Sidon. Issachar is a raw-boned donkey lying down between two saddlebags. When he sees how good is his resting place and how pleasant is his land, he will bend his shoulder to the burden and submit to forced labor. Dan will provide justice for his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan will be a serpent by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider tumbles backward. I look for your deliverance, O Lord. Gad will be attacked by a band of raiders, but he will attack them at their heels. Asher's food will be rich. He will provide delicacies fit for a king. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over a wall. With bitterness, archers attacked him. They shot at him with hostility, but his bow remained steady. His strong arms stayed limber because of the hand of the mighty one of Jacob, because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel. Because of your father's God who helps you, because of the almighty who blesses you with blessings of the heavens above, with blessings of the deep that lies below the blessings on the breast and the womb, your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age old hills. 
Let all those rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow, on the prince among his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey. In the evening he divides the plunder. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. Then he gave them these instructions. I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite along with the field. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his son, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Joseph threw himself upon his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned him 70 days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, If I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, my father, tell him, my father made me swear an oath and said, I am about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father, then I will return. Pharaoh said, Go and bury your father as he made you swear to do. So Joseph went up to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, the dignitaries of his court and all the dignitaries of Egypt, beside all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household. Only their children and their flocks and herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen also went up with him. It was a very large company. When they reached the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly. And there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. When the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, The Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. That is why this place near the Jordan is called Abel Mizraim. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which Abraham had bought as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite, along with the field. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. Let us pray. To the great God above, as we consider and study your word, speak to us. Speak to us through your spirit who inspired the word. Speak to us and change us. Speak to us and make us more like you. Speak to us and help us to grow in our love and appreciation for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are times when we as a culture are obsessed with final words. Every now and then in some of the blogs I read or some Facebook posts that I see, every now and then there is a list of famous people and their last words. And the hopes are that we gain inspiration from those words. The hopes are 
that we can look at their lives and the things that they said at the end of their lives and shape our lives to be able to honestly say inspiring things like that as well when we go. However, it's not only the words of important people, the last words of important people that we desire to hear. As our loved ones do near the end of their life, we we desire to hear one last time words from them, whether they be words of encouragement, words of love, or just words that we can cling to as we remember. And that is what we read today. We have read the last words of Jacob. And today we are going to look at how he, as he says at the end of his prophecies over his children, he blessed them, giving each of them the blessing appropriate to him. And so what I want us to consider is those words there in that verse that are translated blessing don't always mean blessing. Based on the context, sometimes that very same word can mean its opposite. It can mean cursing as well. And so we're actually going to see how God brings blessing through Jacob's curses, how God gives blessing through Jacob's blessings. And then we'll wrap up the life of Jacob as we consider the end. First, God's curses bring blessing. We look at Reuben and Simeon and Levi, and we are expecting Jacob and his prophecies over his sons to give them a blessing. They are the oldest three children. Reuben, by right, uh, deserves or uh, by right of being the firstborn, should get the double blessing that that Jacob really has already given to Joseph. And Reuben, he starts out with these wonderful words. He says, you... Reuben are my firstborn. You are the strength. You are the sign of my virility, the sign of my strength in reproduction. You excel in honor and in power. However, you lived a life that is turbulent as the waters. Remember, Reuben at one point after Rachel died in order to grasp at power, went to the bed of, of um, Jacob's concubine, Rachel's servant defile the bed of that servant by by forcing himself upon her really and and Joseph Jacob says because of that the blessing has been taken from you because of that you will no longer be strong in might because of that you will no longer be strong in the power in the in in authority and in respect within the family. Simeon and Levi, remember, after Dinah was defiled in the city of Shechem, Simeon and Levi tricked the the inhabitants and they went through with sword and destroyed the inhabitants after they had been tricked into being circumcised. And Jacob says that he wants to distance himself from their violence and their cruelty. And Jacob says that they will be lost They will be scattered in the people in the nation of Israel. And we know from reading Joshua, the book of Joshua, that Simeon's boundaries were actually within the boundaries of Judah and ultimately became assimilated into Judah. They lost their tribal identity as they became assimilated into Judah. And Levi, Levi had no portion in the land except for some cities. They had no tribal land. They were scattered throughout the entire nation. And so Jacob 
curses his sons for their evil. And yet, there's blessing and grace in that cursing. What nation needs to be led by a man or a people marked by their inability to control their appetites or their inability to control their violence tendencies? God knew that people who descended from Reuben, from Simeon, from Levi would not be fit leaders and rulers for his people, for the nation of Israel. And so God moved them down in the list of people. He moved them to the bottom of the list and they became absorbed into the nation of Israel without much holding at all when it came to land. But at the same time, God uses the violence of Levi for a grace. If we were to look at Exodus 32, we would find Moses on top of Mount Sinai. He has received the law from God. Joshua is waiting about halfway down for him. And as he descends Mount Sinai, they hear a loud noise. Joshua says, is it the noise of war? Moses says, no, it's the noise of idolatrous celebration. The people of Israel have already violated the law of God that he proclaimed to them from the mountain a month ago and that they swore that they would uphold. They have broken most of the commandments that specifically the ones to have other gods, the ones to make idols and the ones to not commit adultery. And God sends judgment upon the nation of Israel. And yet a group of the sons of Levi go through an exact judgment upon those who are sinning and God stays his hand. God will eventually use the violence of Levi as a tool of grace. And so even in the cursing that Jacob places upon Reuben, upon Simeon and upon Levi, we see God's grace and we see God's blessing. But then Jacob blesses the rest of the sons. Two things as we look at these blessings, we're going to take them out of order. We're going to look at Judah and Joseph last of all. And we're also going to go quickly through the sons that Joseph, Jacob went through quickly. Um, Zebulun, we'll start there. He's given boundaries. He says he'll live by the seashore. If we look at the land that Zebulun had after the conquest, that seashore is the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias. Um, and it says that his boundaries will go toward Sidon, which in the rest of Scripture is code word for the land of Phoenicia. And Zebulun's land bordered Phoenicia. Issachar is strong like a donkey and yet lazy and unwilling to work until people come in and enslave him and force him to work. Dan is a word play on justice and Dan will provide retributive justice to the land, but he will do so like a serpent that bites at the heels because he is a small Gad settles in a border area, and his border area is open to constant and frequent attack. However, he will be able to respond, as we're told, through Jacob's blessing with guerrilla warfare. Asher. Asher lives in a fertile area of the promised land, the breadbasket of the promised land, and he will provide food for the other tribes. Naphtali will be fertile and have beautiful children. 
And Benjamin will be skillful in war. And if you look through the, the account of Judges and Samuel, you will see that oftentimes Benjamin would have a very small force and yet be very, very powerful and successful in war. Then he comes to Joseph. Joseph receives the double blessing. And yet the blessing is given to us through the power of God. Even though Joseph was attacked, even though in bitterness the archers, who were probably his brothers, attacked him, he remained strong. Why did he remain strong? Because of the mighty one of Jacob. Because of the shepherd, the rock of Israel. Because your father's God who helps you. Because of God Almighty who blesses you with the blessings above. We are reminded as we consider and think back on the life of Joseph through all of this, his faithfulness to the God of his fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, saw him through all of his trials, saw him through all of his tribulations, saw him through all of his imprisonments and betrayals. His faith in God was the foundation of what it took for him to get through everything that happened to him. And then we come to Judah. Now we know from this story of the life of Jacob, Judah was the one who determined and who came up with the plot to sell Joseph into slavery. Judah abandoned the family. He left and went to a different area. He did not fulfill his role and his duty to protect the poor and the downtrodden Tamar. He had to be tricked thinking he was sleeping with a prostitute to provide the offspring for Tamar that he was to provide through his children, through leveret marriage. We would expect Judah to be cursed. But he's not here. He is blessed with a very great blessing. And why is that? We have no record of Reuben, Simeon, or Levi really ever changing ever repenting, ever doing anything for the benefit of the family. But what does Judah do when it comes to Benjamin? Joseph is going to imprison Benjamin because he'd been framed for theft. And Judah says, no, take me, take my life instead of killing my father by imprisoning Benjamin. I will substitute myself for the benefit of the family. I have worked my entire life to work against the family, to distance myself from the family as much as I can, but I have made my life a guarantee for the life of Benjamin. Take me instead. We have a scene of repentance. And Jacob prophesies and blesses over Judah. What does he, what does he bless? What does he prophesy? He prophesies a king. And he prophesies that that kingship will remain in the family of Judah until the one that it was designed for arrives. And how will we know that the one that it was designed for has arrived? Well, the plants will be so plentiful that you could tie a donkey to one of these fruit bearing vines and not worry about what the donkey eats off of that vine because there are so many vines around bearing fruit. He will wash his garments in wine and his robe in the blood of grapes. 
This is not saying that the king will dye his robes with wine. This is saying that the fruit of the vine will be so plentiful in the nation that people will use it for washing liquid, to wash their soap, to wash their clothes, to bathe themselves. You know, even the cheapest wine around here, if you bought enough to run one cycle of your washing machine, well, you'd ruin your washing machine, but you'd spend a ton of money. Imagine wine being so plentiful that, you know what, it's not a big deal. I'll just wash my clothes in it. It's like that. There's people who have enough money that they can light it and burn it. That's, that's the picture that's there with the wine. It says his eyes will be darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Now we like light eyed people, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes is kind of the, 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 the gold standard of beauty, but for them, dark eyes were. In other words, all the people will be beautiful. They'll have the whitest of teeth and the most beautiful of eyes. When the one whom the scepter is designed for, we will live in a paradise like Eden. A garden, a city within a garden that reminds us of the bounty of Eden. And we know that that king has come in our New Testament reading today. John wept. Because there was no one there worthy to open the scroll. Until one of the elders seated around the throne of God came to John and said, look to the lion of Judah. What does Jacob say about Judah in here? You'll be a lion's cub. You'll be as powerful as a full grown lion and as powerful as a lioness who nobody will disturb their rest when they sleep. The lion from the tribe of Judah has arrived. If we continued on there in Revelation chapter five, we would see that the lion is not merely a lion, but he is also at once and in the same time. The lamb that was slain for the forgiveness of sins, the lamb who took the punishments, the wrath of God against sin, the Messiah has come. The king awaited for has received his crown. We have a tendency in the midst of all these blessings to overlook probably the most important verse. Jacob is going through blessing or cursing his children as as is fit for their life. He realizes that he is prophesying over them a life of violence. And in chapter 49, verse 18, he says, I look for your deliverance, O Lord. In the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trial, in the midst of tribulation, that is our rescue. That is our peace. Do we look for his forget for the deliverance that God brings? And then finally, here we have the final obituary of King Jacob. Jacob, after he gives these blessings, he says, I am getting ready to be gathered to my fathers. That is a a fledgling belief in the nation of Israel of something beyond this life. Oftentimes we think of the gathering to his fathers as him being buried in the tomb where Abraham and Isaac are buried. But as we look at the language, he is gathered to his fathers long before he makes it to the tomb. And in his death, the hated shepherd, remember the Egyptians hate shepherds. That's why they live. That's why the, Jacob's family is living in Goshen. They are shepherds and shepherds are hated. They are separated from the nation of Egypt. The hated shepherd is treated as a king. 
When Pharaoh dies, you know how many days they mourn for Pharaoh? 72. Jacob gets two days shy of the king's mourning. Who is embalmed in the nation of Egypt? The Pharaoh, the king, and some of his officials and courtiers and slaves, because you know you need officials and courtiers and slaves in the afterlife. But Jacob is hated because he's a shepherd. And yet he's embalmed like a king. He all the officials accompany Joseph and his family to bury Jacob. All the officials mourn for Jacob as he died. And yet even though he is treated like a king, his peace in death comes in the knowledge of what is waiting for him. The knowledge of the promises and the God who will keep those promises. If you were to read through again that that portion of chapter 50 where after Joseph weeps over his father, he has him embalmed and calls for the for the um, uh, uh, officials and, and asks Pharaoh for permission to go bury him over and over again in those 14 verses. We hear the land of Canaan, the land of Canaan in Canaan, in the land of my fathers. It's just repeated over and over again. And Jacob knows from talking to Abraham before Abraham died. Remember, Abraham, Jacob was probably 15 when his grandfather died. Abraham reminded him of the promise that God gave to him. He said, sometime at some point our family is going to Egypt and we're going to have to live there in slavery for 400 years. But I will bring you back. Jacob is in Egypt. He dies in Egypt and yet he dies in peace. He dies in quiet. Why? Because he has the hope of the promised land. Folks, a Christian funeral, while being sad because we have lost a loved one, is also one of the most joyous occasions we can ever be at. Why? Because we have the hope of a promised land as well. It's not a geographic land and somewhere over in the Middle East on the, the coastal area of the Mediterranean Sea. It is a city whose foundations are in God. It is the new heavens and the new earth in which we will be restored and glorified. We have the glorious promise of a promised land that will never fade, that will never die, that will never go away. Our hope in death, our hope as we near the end of life, is the resurrected life and the new heavens and the new earth. And it should bring us peace as we consider our mortality. It should bring us peace as we consider those who have gone before us, whom we've lost, who love Jesus. We've seen that God blesses through cursing. We've seen that God blesses those as he sees fit. We've seen Jacob's prayer for deliverance. And we've seen what our only hope is in this life. As we approach the end of it, the true king of the nations, the one whom God has enthroned upon his holy hill is our source of hope. Is our only comfort in this life and in the life to come. Let us pray. Our God and father above, as we consider these last words of Jacob, remind us that we find deliverance in you and remind us that our hope is in your Son, our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' precious name.
Amen.